0: My name is Michael Guy, publisher of the Lead Ladder Report. Joining me for the hour is Mr. John Molden himself. John, you have done a lot in your career, so I'm going to ask you a very simple question.
1: Uh, What have you done (laughs) throughout your career, and what are you doing currently? I got into the investment publishing business from the marketing side in the very, very early 80s, like 81. I was a direct marketing, direct meal kind of guru back in my younger days for sins that I'm sure I committed in some past life. Got more into the writing about investing side in the late 80s. We started running money, uh, you know, at a fairly nice sized level. And then in 1999, 98, 99, started writing uh, books. My eighth book is out now. I'll have my ninth book out next spring, you know, five, six bestsellers. Been writing my letter. Uh, I'll be next August. I'll start my 25th year. We'll do my doing an annual investment conference that we've done, the strategic investment conference. This will be the 20th one is coming up. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. But I mean, we've had just enormous success with it. I and mean, it's one of the top investment conferences, I think, in the world right now. I and mean, it really is. I mean, the, the speakers, the quality we get, pretty amazing. I mean, I'm just, I get more amazed every year uh, and it just keeps getting better. Recently, I've been focusing on different ways to look at markets and economic, social, geopolitical cycles. And there's a number of different writers that see the world through different lenses, I guess you could say. And we can get into this as, as we go through, but they all tend to point to a period of crisis sometime the latter, the latter part of this decade, early part of next decade, for various reasons, whatever lens they're looking through says, we're going to have this crisis. They're all kind of looking at the same elephant, you know, it's the blind man looking at the elephant thing. So they're looking at past historical data that says, look, this, this cycle keeps happening, whether it's a a hundred year cycle, a fifty year cycle. I mean, depending on who's doing it, and they they look at it for different reasons. And for me, I've been focusing a lot of my career on on the what I think is the accumulation of debt and the debt super cycle. And I think we're getting to a place where people are start looking at it, going, you know, we may be getting just a little top heavy on the 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 debt side, on the government debt side, especially not just in the U.S. but Europe. And, and other countries, and and you couple that with us, the social crisis, with geopolitical crises, with generational crises, and it, it looks to be a fairly tumultuous time. And in your job, Michael, and mine, our day jobs is to try to help clients get from where we are today to the other side of the crisis because there's always the other side, and you always get through it. And the world looks different, and typically. Uh, it becomes a much better, more cohesive, calmer period, and it, it becomes an era of prosperity and productivity. That being said, getting to it is has has been bumpy in the past. All, during the process, I've got I've adopted seven kids. I'm married to my wife, who has another one, so and and now nine grandkids. So, and I live in Puerto Rico, enjoying you know this is the best weather time of the year right now. Because it's starting to get cool. That's that's a relative cool. It I means this is in the eighties as opposed to the nineties. Well,
0: I, I will say uh, it's also nice to have to not deal with uh, U.S.
1: taxes, especially when you have that many kids. <laughs> so, oh, you should have to deal with U.S. taxes. Um, okay. Right. It depends on the source of your income, and how you do it. For instance, some of my income, there's just there's no way I can source it. Anywhere other than the U.S. So I pay U.S. taxes on that. The bulk of my income because of what I do, I'm a writer um, and I can do my services from here. That comes to to Puerto Rico and you pay local Puerto Rican taxes up to a point and then it becomes 4%. Yeah, that that part, uh, which is the majority of my income, really does help make a difference. Uh, but you don't you can't, you you can't get away from u s taxes entirely unless you are uh you've you've already made your hundred million dollars and you're just living on your investment income there we don't pay dividends or capital gains or i mean we don't pay taxes on dividends capital gains interest that type of thing that's that's a benefit but i'm a long way from that i'm not i've still i've still worked for a living i have a day job All right. So so since you mentioned that
0: point about that we're at uh, maybe a point in the cycle where the debt is getting top heavy on the government side, finally, uh, that that's starting to be, you know, a bigger and bigger conversation. I thought the the answer to that was either uh, high percent inflation and or higher taxes. And this is, I think, where maybe you get to the the social cycle dynamics. It seems like we're also at a point where maybe society can't handle higher inflation, and certainly can't handle higher taxes from where they are here. Um, how do you think about that interaction? Because that's where I think this gets to be an interesting push and pull as far as how the future can look.
1: Well, I mean, first of all, we're going to run close to, you know, the debt theoretically is $1.7 trillion, but it'll show up closer to $2 trillion because we have the off-budget deficit, which for some reason it never gets talked about. I mean, and it averages... Two hundred and thirty-nine billion a year for the last twenty years. We'll we'll be pushing two trillion this year, probably pushing two trillion next year. We're not doing anything to drop the debt. Uh, the debt so far. Uh, we'll see what happens in the new Congress. Um, you know, the new being Michael Johnson's there, and he'll have to do something. You know, in January, but nonetheless, we're gonna. You know, we're at thirty three, thirty four trillion close to $34 trillion in debt. We'll be at well over 50 by uh, the end of the decade. Uh, 10 years from now, we'll be at $60 trillion. Uh, 4% uh, interest rates, that's $2.4 trillion. I mean, just on interest, that's more than Social Security, that's more than Medicare. I mean, the interest the interest will start eating the country's budget. And at that point, the bond market. We'll say, we've had about all, the ple- all of this pleasure we can stand. It will be the old Hemingway quote. How did you go bankrupt? Well, it was slowly and then all at once. And the bond market, at some point, will start backing rates up. And then we'll have a crisis. And until we have that crisis, we won't be able to compromise. Because there are people... In Congress that would say, "We're not raising taxes. hell no, all we want to do is cut spending, and there are people in Congress that don't want to cut any spending, they want additional spending or they don't think debt matters, and they all they want to do is raise taxes when there's a two trillion plus swing there, and it'll be more when you start running that kind of deficits in um, you know 2030 it, the the it, it doesn't work. And so, yeah, we'll have we'll have to change that, and it's going to mean less spending, and people are not going to be happy with the cuts, and it's going to be mean higher taxes, income tax our way out of it. This isn't this isn't something we can say tax on the rich. I'll be doing this in about two or three weeks. We're going to look at okay, what happens if you raise the income tax? Well, you could probably double the income tax on. The top 10% of the company, I mean, double it, goes from 40% to 80%. If you could actually get that, which you couldn't, you're going to knock the deficit down by, you know, three, four hundred, five hundred billion. $400, 500000000000 that's it. I mean, that doesn't even get us close. The, the only tax that will get us to a place where we're thinking about balancing the budget would be a value-added tax. It's just death to talk about it uh, in Congress. We can do that. And that's probably what I, it's what I think we'll have to do. But it's going to mean some give and take. And it's going to have to be bipartisan. So I got to tell you that, that that sounds
0: like a deflationary crisis, not an ongoing secular or inflationary dynamic. I, I, I've used that line a number of times myself, that uh, debt becomes deflationary when you can't issue more of it. Now, the Fed can always buy government debt right and and keep the game going but there's a cost to that
1: so well i mean you you can keep continuing to issue debt and the central bank can't buy it but that's inflationary but then you you know it, you have that until you get the deflationary collapse you we can be japan and kick the can down the road but japan is kicked is coming to the end of the road i mean we're now seeing 150 on the yen 10 years after i predicted it so i'm late and and didn't make the money on that trade that I thought which is not the first trade I've I've been early on it's going to be a little bit more difficult in the late 2030s because the, the entire world will be going through this crisis this isn't just going to be a US crisis Europe will probably lead uh, have the crisis have a crisis before we get to it it'll make ours worse but the dollar will get stronger strangely as the rest of the world has a crisis before we do Uh, I mean, there's going to be all kinds of things that will be upside down. And if you're not trying to look around the curve, rather than just looking straight line, you're going to miss it. And you'll end up making the wrong decisions. What happens is when the bond market simply says, I mean, you you saw the precursor to it here a few weeks ago. When they took a thirty-year bond out, and it you know ended up having to go up six, seven bips or whatever it was, Michael can probably tell us to the to the mini bip. Uh, but but uh, you know, they wanted more to take that thirty-year debt. What will happen? seven years, eight years—I don't know what the time frame will be. All of a sudden, they're going to want a lot more. It's not going to be bips; it's going to be points. That four percent that thirty is now going to be a six or seven percent thirty. That short-term debt is going to be. Nine or 10. Um, you know, I mean, but, uh, you know, I mean, you'll get a real yield curve. Well, I mean, the Fed can control the short end, but a short end, if the short end with a true yield curve, you know, going from the lower left to the upper right is if your short end is five or even four, that still creates a lot of problems for the US because you're constantly having to refund. And people are just going to say, well, I've, I've got all of this pleasure I can handle and 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 they'll back off and it's when it's when the bond market jerks their chain that's when you have a crisis i mean in in 2008 the crisis was um uh, the 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 debt i mean in the, the the subprime crisis i was writing about it in late 2006 and i was early but i was right about the debt i was wrong about the amount i said in 2006 i said we're going to lose I bet we're going to lose $400 billion in the um, subprime crisis. And I had people telling me, John, you are such a pessimist. You are always gloom and gloom. And, you know, I think it was a few trillion. Uh, I was an optimist. And so we had to do things differently. Now we did some wrong things. And what I'm hoping this time, and uh, I'll tell Twitter Spaces here, I am self-consciously writing a book through these letters, so that it started, in, I guess, mid-July. As I'm going through these cycle periods of Neil Howe's generational cycle, and it's fourth turning, uh, the fourth turning is here is his book. George Friedman's written a book beca- called The Storm Before the Calm, talking about 50-year cycles and 80-year cycles in geopolitics, which for the first time randomly occur at the same time. In the latter part of this decade, which he suggests is going to be create real potential geopolitical crisis, potential war, so forth. You have uh, Peter Turkin, professor at Connecticut, uh, who was an entomologist, a bug scientist. and But he began to notice that civilizations, humans, had the same problems that bugs did. Bugs would have a, a population, and then all of a sudden... The population would become a crisis, and they they would explode and then implode uh and he noticed that in as they begin to look at humans what we would, what we do what we've done for twelve fifteen hundred years is we overproduce elites, whether it's barons and, and and dukes you know trying to fight over land or 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 income you get you get too many third sons, if you will second sons you know who who want to Claim their piece of the land and they start fighting with each other and they drag the peasants in. Today, we've got too many elites. The tyranny of the perfect. Uh, we now have, I'm sorry, the tyranny of experts. We now have an expert for everything. So to use a name that, you know, Fauci was our expert. Well, it turns out that Fauci, who is an expert on what he's talking about, but he's a little bit flawed in some of his recommendations. Then you start saying, "Well, no, this expert says this." So you get too many experts, you get too many elites, and it creates this fracturing of society as people try to get you to line up on their side of what they think should be done. You, you get the the, the global uh, cycle that Ray Dalio talks about is financial cycles, and you've all read his, if you haven't read his, book, his books, they're worth reading. And on top of that. I don't know if I'm going to put it into my series or not, but you've got Peter Zion's book, The End of the World is Just the Beginning, where he's talking about large-scale cycles, mostly built around demographics and geopolitics, because that's his world. and he, That's the lens that he sees things through. But it still says crisis coming. In 2008, we went into the crisis blind. So you get Hank Paulson on his knees and Nancy Pelosi saying, lady, if you, you don't approve this it's all going to come apart in the next two days. And frankly, he was right. As it turns yeah. out, they were making it up as they went along. It seems to me nobody really thought they'd get there. And yet, when they got there, they go, oh, my God, what are we going to do? There was no planning, so they, they had to do something. And they ended up bailing out banks. And in my opinion, if they had had a year to think about it, says this is going to happen, what should our response be? Our response should have been to wipe out shareholders for reasons that get are too our for us to talk about. You actually have to take care of the preferreds because it would have cost the government more to 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 wipe out the preferreds than it would have to um, uh, to, to bail them. And some the more bonds. You probably got to work on some of those, and, and then you would have removed the moral hazard like we did. The Fed was probably justified in its first QE, not you know, as I wrote at the time. But I said QE two and QE three were were not necessary. They were egging things on. They were making situations worse, especially keeping things at the zero bound like they did. It completely financialized the society. It became cheaper to buy your competition than to compete. So now we have a situation where there's we reduced the supply into. Uh, fewer and fewer sources. So you've got lots of industries where there's only two, three, or four that are actually doing, making, manufacturing, doing things. And and I'm not thinking about like, for instance, the retail industry. Amazon's such a small part. It's a big company. Walmart's a big company, but they're a small part of the overall retail space, percentage wise. Um, so there's plenty of competition there. I'm thinking more about Railroads. There's fewer fewer trucking uh, companies. There's fewer and fewer um, uh, shipping companies. My mind's focused on shipping stuff. So. But but there's also fewer money managers. Uh, so many so many money managers are retiring, and so it's consolidating and growing. Banks are consolidating. There's fewer big banks. Fewer banks. There's fewer public companies, and that consolidation to a free market capitalist like myself. Is worrisome because I like competition. Except, of course, my competition. You know, I wish they would go away. <laughs> that's what we all think. We're, we're the ones serving the, uh, the, the, the uh, customer, the, the, the client. Uh, the other guys aren't doing near the job we are. So,
0: okay, I want to take it to just um, okay. So that's that's very long term. I want to take it to the. Much shorter term uh, dynamic here because you, you know, sent me a direct message saying, you know, you're starting to notice that there are some cracks at the margin around uh, credit markets. I have obviously been wrong or maybe just early in terms of thinking that you'd have a corporate credit event uh, this year. Uh, year's not over. But obviously that hasn't played out. It's been much more obviously on the duration treasury side still. But um, talk about just some of the more near-term dynamics that you're seeing that you think might become bigger issues.
1: We're we're watching, I think. So I've been I probably would have said the same thing this time last year, you know, often wrong, but seldom in doubt. That's just kind of me. But I think we're seeing the economy slow down even after even after we've come off the. Uh, the third quarter, which is one of our best GDP quarters we've had for a long time. I, I saw somebody today said, we're not really talking about a soft landing. It's so much a slow landing. Uh So we've got a lot of debt that has to be refinanced. Something like, uh you know, one trillion in the corporate space, two, three trillion in the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of debt that's got to be re- refinanced. You saw the... Uh, Really uh, negative uh, home builders report that came out the last two days. We're seeing inflation beginning to 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 come down. It's not it's not where it should be, and, you know. And everybody thinks, well, the Fed will be able to come in and 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 lower rates. And I, I'm not convinced. If they start trying to goose the economy, we'll get right back into that inflationary problem again. And I think they're going to be very cautious. A year ago, the markets were telling us we were going to get four rate cuts in 2024. Now it's down to two plus. I think by the time we get into 2024, the markets are going to be saying, well, we'll get maybe one, maybe two. The longer we go, those rate cuts are going to get pushed out. And it's not till we get to, you know, 2% inflation for a while, which you can, I'm, I, I know that people say you could argue that it is because housing is, um, a, a very lagging indicator the way we measure it I've, I've written about this uh too much, probably my readers would say housing and in the indicator that you're using still showing a five percent inflation, six percent inflation when it's actually uh maybe negative uh in terms of rental you know and the uh the comps there's reasons to think that things are going to slow down, certainly the home building sector is a big sector, and that's slowing down our energy is. It's gone down, but the demand is going up worldwide. We're not producing as much. I'm, I'm very bullish on energy in the short term. I'm sorry, in the middle, medium term. If we have a slowdown, price will go down. But I think we could see, we'll see three figure $100 plus, $120 plus oil, I think, before the end of next year. And that will be, oh my God, inflationary, <laughs> you know, just at the wrong time, just as people are hoping for a rate cut. We're going to see inflation, you know, and energy coming back and spiking the numbers.
0: But but why? Why? What is it about next year? So I, I, I mean, the most recent, and I grant it, get a different time frame, right? But yeah, most recent price action's been, I think, pretty negative, and I'd already more consistently look and see prior to recessions.
1: Yeah, it could be the start of some kind of a signal there. Could be. I mean, but if you go back and you look historically. Uh, recessions always reduce demand. You reduce demand uh, without reducing supply. Prices go down. The Demand always comes back. I mean, we've gone from the lower left to the upper right for 120 years now. And there's no reason to think that's going to change. So you see some bumps, some wiggles there. And those wiggles can be um, uh, exciting in terms of the prices falling or the prices rising. But I mean, so that's what I'm saying. The short term, I want to get through the slowdown. But by the time we get to third, fourth, third quarter, fourth quarter of next year, we'll be through whatever it is that we're going to be going through. Demand will pick back up globally. Energy prices will come back. I mean, we're we're going to see. I haven't seen the price action today. I haven't been. I'm nowhere near a screen. But I would expect that two things happen. Number one, China Z meeting with. Um, Or she, rather, meeting with Biden was useful, you know, in terms of kind of calming things down. But the more important thing was the two opposition parties in Taiwan agreeing to work together. Now, they haven't said how they're going to do that yet, but they're going to agree on a candidate, probably some power sharing arrangement. The two of them together should be able to put, I don't want to call it a pro China, but it'll be a, it won't be an anti China party yet which is what's currently there, what's making the Chinese so nervous. You put the KMT or the People's Party back, uh, or how are they going to share that? It may not look like 2006, 2008, you know, when there was a lot of cooperation, but it won't be the tinderbox, and there won't be the immediate uh, need, that's what the hope is, for China to go in and think that they need to physically take Taiwan. Uh, China has been perfectly willing to play the long game as long as they don't see it running away from them. Frankly, the Chinese economy is not doing well for mostly free market reasons. I mean, she thinks he can run a top-down economy. It, it, top-down economies just don't tend to do very well. They're not going to grow. I mean, you can you can survive. You know, China needs five six percent growth. They're they're getting ready to China's getting ready to go old before it grows rich. What she has basically said, the Communist Party's basically said to entrepreneurs, you can get so big, but you can't get too big. Your business has to be run for the benefit of the Communist Party and you get to a certain size. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a party member that's on your board looking over your shoulder. You know, they're going after taxes from different various groups. It doesn't it doesn't foster a let's go out and create a new business, start something. There's you know, you don't have that Silicon Valley mentality um, or that Austin now, I guess, Austin uh, 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 mentality. To answer your question, not surprised at all. But by, by she coming here, the surprise part was the two opposition parties who really haven't cooperated in the past coming together to cooperate. I, I, I think they realize that this is kind of a. A watershed moment and and they're looking at each other and going, OK, I was talking about it. we need a crisis in order for the U.S. Uh, politicians to cooperate. Well, I, I think the opposition parties in um, um, Taiwan looked around and go, OK, we're going to have a crisis if we don't have cooperate. And so they're in crisis avoidance moment. So those those things can be useful. So, so John, John, the uh, the last two years, the
0: irony was that the best inflation hedge was the dollar, right, relative to everything else. If you're right about, you know, oil next year surging back and then, you know, the argument of another wave of inflation, uh, what becomes the, the inflation hedge to play that? Because uh, I, I don't know if it'll be the dollar in the same way again. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gaia here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit Live and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the leave lag report. And now back to our discussion.
1: Well, I'm I'm if you're a dollar investor, I'm not you know, I mean, not an investor. If you're if if you and I live in a world of dollars and our inflation the the, the dollar hasn't been a hedge for me. I mean, I put it in my letter last week. Somebody put a a, creating some charts on Twitter, which I thought was kind of fun. But I talked about my prime rib. I'm I'm an amateur cook, but I make. In my own personal estimation and the estimation of people who who, um, have tasted it, I make the best prime rib in the world. I mean, it's really, really good. And I put my recipe in my letter last week. I put a link to it. But I but in doing that, I went back to the first time I published my recipe and it was like 2013, something like that. And the cost of a prime back then was roughly, you know, to buy a Costco was roughly ten dollars a pound. Today, that same prime is eighteen dollars and seventy five cents a pound. And so it's eighty seven percent in the last, you know, seven or eight years. I feel that inflation that I mean, when I go, I'll, I'll go buy a 10 or 11 pound prime because we'll have 40 people coming to to a Thanksgiving dinner in Dallas in, here in a couple of weeks or next week. God is what is what's happening to the time. And that that 11 pound prime is also is going to be three hundred dollars to walk out. I mean, uh, out the door with. So, what you think is that prime rib is a good a hedge? <laughs> well, I, I don't know that a dollar. I mean, I don't know that there is a hedge in the in a dollar world. I mean, uh, if you're in Europe or you're in a in a third, third, you know, another country, dollar might be a good hedge for you. But I don't know that we don't have that luxury of saying, and because gold hasn't been much of an inflation hedge. Yeah, and, and I guess that, that's kind of where it was going. It's you
0: know, it, it's it's like what would be where the momentum transfers to most likely in the next inflationary cycle, right? And yeah, under that scenario would not be treasuries. I don't think it would be tips because there's enough skepticism around CPI, you know, right? So uh, it seems like there's not that many options other than, you know, gold or, or maybe Bitcoin.
1: Bitcoin certainly was not an inflation hedge the last cycle, but maybe it would be the next one. I'm not certain what Bitcoin is, but I don't know that you could call it a, an inflation hedge. You can call it something, but I don't know that it's an inflation hedge.
0: From a from a like asset allocation perspective, I'm curious for you. I mean, obviously, you got your income on your, you know publishing business and other sources of other businesses. But uh, I'm curious, where, it, where does John Molda put
1: his his incremental new dollar to work in? I've got a lot of my money in very specific biotech stocks that I happen to like. That's kind of where I, and then the rest of it, the bulk of it is in, you know, large, large multi-asset, multi-strategy uh, hedge funds. You, If you're an accredited investor, there's platforms you could get access to that are um, available. Um, so I've got a lot of, of that. Dividend, just plain old dividend growth stocks, not dividend growth, dividend, you no. Know, high in, you know dividend companies, large companies that have raised their dividends every year for the last 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, the compounding of if you compound dividend growth of five or six percent a year, yeah, your value is gonna go up and down, but that dividend makes up when you can get a four percent, you know, yield on a on a on a portfolio, that makes up a that makes up for a lot of sins over time. And then the rest of it just isn't all various alternatives.
0: Yeah, it's been a hard year for dividends, but I, I happen to think that, like you, right, yeah, the the pendulum swings from capital appreciation growth, you know, to more value dividends, and now, now yields are obviously a lot higher across the board. So I think that makes a lot of sense, but it's also not exactly a, a very sexy thing for most of <laughs> Right? You never hear people talking about creating, you know, uh, blue chip dividend uh, name. Well, it, it, it's just an observation about cycles, right? That the, the pendulum will eventually swing from the Magnificent Seven, you know, capital appreciation growth type of names back to dividends, especially if you're closer to the end of the rate high cycle,
1: you know, than that. Right. And, and dividends will be, you know, it's, all of these things work in cycles, but then then that's that's kind of how it works. So, Is
0: there anything that you're focusing on that, maybe are under people's radars that people are not paying attention to that you think will be a, a beer deal going forward?
1: I don't think people understand the ramifications of the biotechnology improvements that we're seeing. I'll be writing about it. I'm not going to mention the company yet because it's still the, I, I happen to know there's study that will be posted here in about four to six weeks, should be but it's going to be one of the most explosive anti-aging stories that we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, it's, it's staggering. It's just the beginning. People don't understand when, when you really are going to be able to, uh, this drug, by the way, will be the fountain of middle ages, not the fountain of youth, but it is going to slow, slow down or actually Turn you back to middle age, which to me, I'm 74 right now. Middle age sounds pretty good. Uh, So I'm looking forward to being able to get access to it. I can just say that within four or five years, you will be able to get this through unconventional means. And you will. Because everybody, when you see what it's, when people see what it does, they're going to want it. And there are competitors coming along right alongside that are are having different results of things. That's so under everybody's radar right now. They don't understand. When you can add 10, 15, 20 years or more of a productive life, I'm not talking about, you know, just getting older and older and feeble. I'm saying you've got a productive, you're on top of your game life. That's a major change. And it's going to have all sorts of positive ramifications. Um it'll, it will, and I'll be writing about this tomorrow, it will make the um, Social Security problem worse. It will actually make Medicare better because one of the things these drugs, these compounds are doing is it's reducing inflammation. It's reducing some of the wear and tear on the body. It's reducing the things that kill us. You know, it, we, you spend half your money in the last year of your life in terms of our health budgets. When you start postponing that last year of your life out ten, fifteen years, it's going to reduce our health budgets, our Medicare budgets. Um, that's a good thing, but it's going to incre- as people live longer, they're going to be getting their Social Security more. I mean, uh, I, I remember the eighties thinking and writing that we wouldn't get. So I wouldn't live long enough to get my. So I would never get Social Security when I got to retirement age. Not only am I getting Social Security, I'm getting fifty thousand dollars a year, which is you know it's a number that died. This for me, I can see that in my bottom right hand corner. Uh, now they make me pay taxes on it. I mean, we were talking about taxes. That's a U.S. tax that I cannot avoid. Uh, so they, and and I'm still paying Social Security taxes. So it's it's not as not as much of a benefit as one might think. But that being said, it's it's living longer is is the one thing that I really think people don't understand. And I'm you know I'm hoping the first guy that turns 150 is going to be 74, <laughs> and maybe maybe it'll be somebody that's in better shape than I am and they're they're 80 and they get early access to this stuff. There's there's some really good things. So so that's just that's my Tom Malden. Dream, I guess. And yeah, That's
0: uh, yeah, definitely exciting on that end. Um, John, for those that want to track more of your thoughts and be among the uh, million uh, that read your stuff, uh, where would
1: you point them to? My newsletter is called Thoughts from the Frontline. You can get it at Malden Economics.
0: I'm a big fan of John's work. I'll have this, again, folks, as an edited podcast. Please make sure you follow John Malden here on X. Uh, check out his research as well. And hopefully I'll see you all a little bit later doing a uh, live show uh, with video. Uh, with Mr. Dan Niles uh, at 5 Eastern. You'll see that here on AX. Thank you, John. Really, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you.
2: The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.